0: Hello, welcome to Girls Gone Canon, reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 129, Catelyn 1 in A Clash of Kings. I am one of your hosts, Chloe.
1: And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And yes, we are starting a new book. A new chapter. I
0: love A Clash of Kings. I Not to wax on my love for it, but I feel like it is an underrated book in a mess of pacing issues from the rest of the series. <laughs> I just feel like everyone loves Storm because it's like so come at you like pa, 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 with Catalina Wine Mixer and then they're like no, boo, Feast bad. And I'm like Feast just has pacing issues and Dance has pacing issues with Catalina Wine Mixer issues at the end. And I think Clash is just very pleasantly sad, depressing and a little exciting at some points but mostly sad.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm one of those people who underrates Clash, so I feel that. I get I get what you're saying. It's real. The phenomenon is real. But these yeah. are these are like this is fucking it, you know, when it comes to cats chapters. We are getting into it. And
0: this is an exposition heavy chapter, right? Like this is like this is some setup. There's lots of fun stuff yeah. that's gonna lead off in this book to bigger stuff that we'll talk about as we go along. But there's lots of meat. Lots of meat to chew on up in here.
1: It's set up and there's like every now and then like mild reminding of like, this is this person because, you know, it's a new book. But yeah, yeah, it's a it's like a review. It's getting it's being like, here are all the pieces ready now for the plot.
0: Well, let's grab into some housekeeping real quick. Patreon episode this month is going to be a His Dark Materials episode, The Collectors. It is a mini novella. It's only ebook and audiobook right now. We're going to read it. Before it comes out in an official physical form. So that's this month, right? If you're not a big His Dark Materials person, if you haven't tried it, highly suggest it. If not, next month, our special episode for patrons in the $5 and above tier, the stranger tier after one of our favorite horses, uh, will get another episode on A Song of Ice and Fire. You'll hear about it soon.
1: Yeah, and this is a standalone story more or less a collector So even if you are not a big historic materials fan, you could tune into it, but we are going to be analyzing it heavily through that lens. So yes. Next we do have for not our stranger tier, but another tier, the Thunder Tier and Above. As you all know, has access to our Discord. And that also includes our brunches and happy hours. Brunch slash happy hour that we do once a month. And there we have games and giveaways and get-to-know-yous, and this month we are going to be doing Brunch Slash Happy Hour on June 26th, and it will be a Pride-themed brunch. Yes,
0: I'm very excited. If you are, uh, you'll probably have heard about it by now if you're hearing this episode on Fridays when we release these episodes, but... The Thunder Tear can access our Discord. It is a fun place, and I'm very excited for brunch and happy hour this month. Because, I don't know, after these cat chapters, Mama needs
1: a drink. Not just cat chapters, you know. A lot of our friends, such as Yogi and Rowan, have been putting out some great LGBTQ analysis um, as of late. And uh, a lot of other ones of our friends, too, right, um, through that lens, such as Low. On Nauticast, Gasting, and also Yogi and everyone. Yeah, everyone. Yeah,
0: I'm really loving all of the wonderful theme content coming out for Pride Month. And I'm loving, I know Nauticast has a few great episodes that have come out and are coming out. I can't say much there. I will not spoil it. Let it be known. I will not spoil it. They've tried to get it out of me, but you'll have to wait and listen. Or you can hop over to their Patreon and probably hear about it early too, so check that out but i'm excited to see what comes up at brunch i know we're going to have some wonderful thoughtful and colorful presentations and i'm sure there's going to be some hysterical uh very funny presentations i'm sure i'm sure oh, some swap shenanigans might happen cuz that that happens and, I mean, and jackbox games especially
1: right? with kind discourse happening as of oh late my god yeah
0: i i you know, I did t- I dipped my tongue into that.
1: Oh, myself. Did you? <laughs> got I your did. Tongue. I did. Yes. yes. So um, uh, at the time of recording this, we are one day out what? It's the day after the internet decided does Batman or does Batman not go down. <sighs> Yes. On women, I, I guess. It, or it feels
0: really topical. I know a lot of people feel like this is like some historian stuff going on in our episodes. First the pandemic. Yeah now pussy this is historical. discourse. Yeah, yeah. This is this
1: is this is historical.
0: <laughs> a historical moment. Uh really an homage to be to be laid at our feet. Anyways, we'll yeah, talk crazy about homage later,
1: on. but in actually a very different way. <laughs> a completely different way. Yes. Well, we're here, you know, we're here at A Clash of Kings. And, you know, we used to do... There were, I think, a lot of great responses and emails and tweets of note, but... I was too lazy to grab any of them this week, but we saw them and we appreciated them.
0: You know, I think this week, uh, we've, we've had a lot of pressure lately, you know, some big chapters at the end of A Game of Thrones... Yeah. Uh, no pressure. No pressure this week. Just vibes. Vibes all around. We're just gonna get into the nitty gritty kingship going on here.
1: Yeah, we will come back to them. You know, I mean, it, it was a lot of work playing Raven last last chapter. You know, shuffling emails <laughs> over it publicly to different people. So. Which blueberry I'm excited am I though today? about
0: our new our new fan friend service.
1: <laughs> <DMing>. <laughs> like Tina's fan
0: friend fiction. Oh my god! I don't DMing. Know what's happening Oh my yeah. god! Uh,
1: but yeah, so as you all know, we are now starting a Clash of Kings for Catelyn, and um, we used to do book overviews, I guess, of the character arc. But I, we've been talking about these, I think, overall, and I mean, it all Catelyn's arc, it all goes together. You all know the themes
0: from A Game of Thrones. You've seen the show. The books were based upon.
1: What What is the theme of Catelyn in A Game of Thrones? Suffering? I, tr- I tried to love a motherless child.
0: Oh my god. Okay. Well, I think the theme for Catelyn is, uh, I don't know, family. I think family duty? was A Game of Thrones and this book is duty. Honor? And the third book is Breaking Honor.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. The horse. No, the horse. Oh, I mean, maybe. <laughs> so. We, there was an animal sound that I was like, we gotta. Oh, it was the dragon sounds.
0: <laughs> the dragons. Well, I've added my own horse noise. Oh, hell. Yeah, I think uh, last book was about family for Cat, right? Justice for Bran, and then later justice for Ned. But now it, it's about duty duty to the kingdom over duty to your family as we're going to explore it in, in this chapter, I think, specifically.
1: I think that's a great point, considering that, I mean, that's the big thing, right? At the end of the book, with the, all the vows they make you swear and swear, that's essentially the argument of, like, within, what the fuck is duty?
0: Yeah, that's I mean, even Rob point. himself
1: has his own redux
0: of that, right? When mm-hmm. he comes distressed to his mother saying, I thought I was going to do better than this, and I guess I can't. I guess it's impossible because this chapter itself feels like check baits. It feels like uh, it's unfair, right? Like it mm-hmm. just feels like ev- you're up against a wall everywhere you look and there's no answer. And it turns out... Mood. That's war, baby. That's it war. Is. <laughs> no we've got a lot to slide through this is what the 7th seventh, Cha-cha this slide is the seventh chapter in A Clash of Kings I think so we've got to hit that last Daenerys chapter uh, let's hit our lightning round and get into A Clash of Kings
1: yeah so as you all know A Game of Thrones for, again backtracking A Game of Thrones there's one more chapter at the end of it right after Cats which is Daenerys 10 and so from Daenerys 10 we're just going to quote The band Stars, uh, the song "Your Ex Lover's Dead." When there's nothing left to burn, you have to set yourself on fire. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was
0: appropriate, and that's that's it. That's the ultimate, right? The ultimate chapter onto a clash of kings. The wait, what the fuck?
1: That is the title. I mean, like that is what happens. Your ex lover's dead. Yeah, your ex lover is dead. I told you. Shit. Yeah. Oh, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm slow on the uptake today. So it took me. And that that work tu- is masterful, Elian. There's <laughs> layers. There's layers. Is this a Davos chapter? Because you got. <sighs> no. No. Thank you. Thank you.
0: That takes us into a clash of kings. The prologue. Maester Cressen hopes to save the realm by sacrificing himself and poisoning a red priestess. But in the end, Melisandre remains.
1: My heart. Arya 1. Arya heads north with Yorin, disguised as a boy. She gets into it with hot pie, and is punished before learning her father should have been allowed to take the black.
0: Already dealing in secrets. Oh. Sansa 1. Sansa attends Joffrey's birthday party. Dantos arrives shit-faced and naked, and Sansa saves his life in making him a professional fool. Hashtag infrastructure. Hashtag jobs are coming back under Sansa. Thank you. I will be taking no further criticisms on that.
1: Nope. Tyrion won. Tyrion Lannister returns to take his job. Courtesy of Sansa. Um, as he <laughs> <of> the king. <laughs> meeting with the council, and discussing the state of the city with Cersei. Later, he heads to the broken anvil, and Varys reveals he's discovered Shay. Some
0: jobs come with thorns, okay? Foreshadowing. Bran 1. Bran contemplates the comet, and laments having to lock his wolves up for the phrase. It's a metaphor. He tells Maester Lewin of his wolf dreams, and Lewin gives him a sleeping drought. But Bran still dreams through Summer's eyes.
1: Arya too. Arya and the group heading north stop at an inn, encountering Jacques and Hagar. They're confronted by gold cloaks, but Jorin sends them off. For now. Oh.
0: <sighs> John won. John finds Sam reading maps in the library cellar. They watch new recruits train, and John talks to Donald Noy. Jaor reveals Aemon's past.
1: <laughs> and that brings us here to a clash of kings. Catelyn won. The North presents a united front as King Rob holds court, giving a messenger terms to present to the Queen. Once court is dismissed, though, Catelyn and Rob don't quite see eye to eye. Catelyn's uncle returns, and they discuss what must be done. So we open the chapter with... Her son's crown was fresh from the forge, and it seemed to Catelyn that the weight of it pressed heavy on Rob's head. The ancient crown of the Kings of Winter had been lost three centuries ago, yielded up to Aegon the Conqueror when and Stark knelt in submission. What Aegon had done with it no man could say, Lord Hoster-Smith had done his work well, and Rob's crown looked much as the other was said to have looked in the tales told of the Stark kings of old. An open circlet of hammered bronze incised with the runes of the first men, surmounted by nine black iron spikes wrought in the shape of long swords. Of gold and silver and gemstones it had none. Bronze and iron were the metals of winter, dark and strong to fight against the cold. Thank you for reading such a beautiful
0: passage. It felt very important and cinematic for you to do so for me. Why? <laughs> I just... I'm passionate for this crown. I have to tell you. I am very passionate about this crown. And uh, the image that's being presented here is of course bold. They wait in River Run for their prisoner to be presented to them. And Rob's Mm. crown is falling slightly off his head. He adjusts it and Catalan thinks it is no easy thing to wear a crown. And I love that this is our very first entrance into seeing this crown that they hadn't made, right? Uh, It's a crown made in the south for a northern king in a way, so I think that's kind of kind of really beautiful that it presents that unity with the Riverlands in the north in a way. And putting it straight against Joffrey's crown, a crown of gold crusted with rubies and black diamonds. Immediately we see the contrast of gold, silver, gemstones. It had none. Joffrey's crown is a Targaryen copycat piece, oh, right? Interesting. Overcompensating. Uh, and i do love that about the northern crown it's not beautiful necessarily but it's simple and it's strong and symbolic it's metaphorical
1: it's got meanings
0: it's got meaning it means stuff i mean i don't think it's the last we've seen of it we last talked about this when it kind of disappeared right in the jamie chapters and Hmm. i know that when we come across that uh that epilogue, eventually, I think, right? It's, is it an epilogue that we come across it again soon? I can't remember. I haven't thought about that in so long. This is my first time reading the story. So.
1: This is, in <laughs> fact, not a reread podcast. We're just spoiling <laughs> Chloe the, every, every chapter.
0: Wow. Gee golly. No, I think there's just something uh, very simple and stated well about it. And there's something interesting about the Nine Swords. I was trying to look through different things with nine in them, and I think uh, there's something kind of interesting with House Templeton, who's married into House Royce and also wanted to support Lord Royce in joining the Starks in war. Literally, nine stars is where they live, right? Of nine stars, their their sigil has the hmm. stars. It made me wonder. I was like, is that something? There's a lot of like random... George is like, nine people left and none have come back. And, you know, just like nine this, the free cities, the nine free cities. But there's also the nine weirwoods huh. that John sees. Uh, so Game of Thrones, the weirwoods that John takes his vows in front of. Nine weirwoods grew in a rough circle. John drew in a breath and he saw Sam Tarley staring. So nine weirwoods for where he took his vows, and then we see it again, the same place in A Storm of Swords, John 3, before he's about to bang out egret, he remembers the weirwood grove where he set his vows with the nine great white trees in a circle, faces watching, listening. Uh, It just feels so symbolic and northern to have the nine swords in this aspect, but it, it doesn't feel like George has come back to it yet, so... I wonder if it will have meaning. Maybe we'll break into nine kingdoms instead of seven. That's interesting.
1: I mean, it kind of... It already isn't even seven, right? Because back then it was the, yeah. ri- the kingdom of the River and Isles, which is yeah. now two anyway. So it's like so... what? Um, It would be... Hold on. Let me, let me make sure I have this right and count it out. So it would be Dorne, the Riverlands, the Reach, the Vale... The Crownlands, uh, the Stormlands, um, mm-hmm. the North, the Iron Islands, the Westerlands. Oh, the
0: Westerlands! No one likes them.
1: So, okay. It is actually
0: nine, right? So maybe the nine weirwoods are symbolic of the literal nine kingdoms. Maybe... I just can't see them all going independent. They need each other to be like, hey, in some ways. I think there's going to be... We just had this big conversation that I do think there's... You know, the nuclear bomb has a great theory. Manu, who's been on before, has talked about uh, the the neck and Mm
1: -hmm.
0: possibly severing from the South. and like, I think that really holds true for a lot of things. I don't know exactly how it all works out, as we've said, but I just am curious. What will it look like? What will it look like, a post- this bullshit, Westeros.
1: Beheaded. Dead. I mean, if you if you slice it at the neck, we've seen what happens at the end of one book, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dead. No. But the last thing
0: that I feel is significant about the crown is the runes on mm. it, right? Yeah. Uh, especially with Lord Royce being kind of a first Men Vale House and their support of the Starks and wanting to have joined Rob. And, you know, their words are we remember, that's ominous enough, but there's a user on Reddit, knowing Nate, his name is, who pointed out, this is the Royce rune pattern on Bronzion's cloak in the show and armor in the books, and he posted the photo of it, Uh, it's one of the graphics that's been made as semi-canon, and he said, a few years ago, as something to do, I taught myself the runic alphabet the old English, starting at the top right corner, going clockwise, I know, I'm like, I want to do this, It seems to say in modern English, written phonetically in runes, run before your blood runs.
1: That sounds cool and ominous. I don't know that it's what I would put on a crown. Yeah, I don't
0: know that this would have it, obviously, but that's interesting. And I wonder if, you know, maybe that those runes, I don't know. I feel like they're connected. Feels important. I don't know how. That's not my job. That's George's job. Don't come to me.
1: More like rune before your blood runes.
0: <laughs> oh my god. Okay, okay. Uh, so let's get back to that crown, right? And Rob wearing it.
1: Yeah, so there, there's a lot of language in here, and I'm sure other people have talked about it. And so we're not going to spend too much time on it, of course. But talking about the weight of it pressing heavy on Rob's head, um, and how it's no easy thing to wear a crown. Right. it's very reminiscent of that line from Shakespeare's play, Henry IV, Part Two. Of oh, the cha-cha slide, <laughs> and the line is "Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown," but it's often uh, misquoted as "Heavy is the head that wears the crown." But anyway, I mean, it's it's a very, I think, explicit, straightforward reference. We know George likes Shakespeare, and he's sort of weaving that in there, and we're we're gonna see that right throughout this chapter. The way that kingship really. You know, puts a huge burden on Rob's shoulders, and how it's difficult. And I, I would say, you know, the way that the crown is, the the discomfort that he shows wearing it, kind of reminds me a little bit of Daenerys, right? They're Rob's own floppy ears, and he's performing, right? He's putting on his lords, but not lords anymore, his king's face. And Catelyn notes that throughout this chapter, right, that that Rob no longer sounds like the boy that she knew, and he doesn't quite have the iciness in his voice that Ned does, but he's close. And I mean. Ned had a couple years of experience. Like I don't doubt that. Like Ned probably stood by himself sometimes and was like practicing the voice and was like, "Is this icy enough? Is this is this scary oh enough?" God. And he, all, I mean, Ned saw some shit too. You know, he saw a lot of shit yeah. to get him to that point. But yeah, yeah, it, it
0: the Daenerys comparison is great because. That'd be literally those chapters are juxtaposed to each other right next in line, right? The penultimate, then the ultimate on purpose. Yep, that rise to rulership in that moment of getting, you know, uh, after suffering bullshit, that little bit of triumph, that glimpse of triumph. And I think that rings true a lot in, you know, that end of feast. It's kind of a quiet triumph for the Starks and a quiet triumph for the Martells in some aspects that they do have a master plan going on here. Uh, and same for dance it's but it's in the opposite way right like john gets stabbed mm. quentin dies uh it's not great then for martell and stark it feels like it's about to be great like you're really on to something and that's where that book really gets you really stabs you there and i love that thrones has that same uprising like that that small sense of little victories little triumphs
1: yeah absolutely and i mean there's a, there's so many comparisons and I kind of wonder, I, I still wonder every now and then what dance would have been like had it ended the way that I guess George meant. It actually probably would have still gone to shit. He was going to end with some battles yeah. and he would have been like, oh, this is different. This is different. But anyway, here, right, as you said, we're ending on some high notes. Actually, it's kind of like you end on a high note for Danny, and you think like everything's going to go well. and she's like, oh, surprise, I'm in the desert. And I have Everything no power. Sucks. I have no power yeah. anymore. What do I do? And for Rob, though, he's like, "All right, so I'm in this big position. I got to keep it." And so he's putting on this yeah. display. Oliver Frey, his squire, brings Rob his sword, and Rob lays it flat upon his knee, which is a clear threat. And actually, the last time we saw Rob do this, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, like, or it, it was really called out, was with a Lannister, with Tyrion over mm-hmm. in Winterfell
0: yes absolutely though I do remember this I do remember this it is when he comes and he acts all tough as the boy lord because Ned's obviously in the south and he's like why are you here to kill my brother again and Drew's like no
1: I brought a gift I brought him a saddle <laughs>
0: <Ooh>. <laughs> that's why he became the true monster
1: <laughs>
0: yeah yeah, that's a great uh, thought though. I didn't realize that it's again a Lannister, a Lannister thing.
1: <laughs> I mean their parents just really raised them. Like, you know, we were talking about last chapter joking. we are like, yeah, but Ned and Catelyn talk about Jamie Lannister during when they're in bed. They're like, "Oh, yeah, Jamie Lannister how he glittered." And I'm like, "What? Do they like overcompensate in front of their kids just to hide it they're like, I hate Jamie Lannister in front of them?"
0: Oh my god. <laughs> <sighs> Robin Riger, captain of the Khaustoli Guard, presents the captive to his king. Theon yells, kneel before the king, Lannister, and Sir Robin forces him down. And this is a great fake out, right? Because it's leading you in this moment to think that this is going to be Jamie, Because everyone's like, yeah, we don't like fucking Lannisters here. Fucking Lannister. But then, when you think it's going to be Jamie, it's... Cleos,
1: question mark? Cleos Frey, even. Question mark.
0: Yeah, and Catelyn doesn't think this man looks quite like a lion. And she reflects that his mother was Tywin's sister, Jenna, but he had none of the fabled Lannister beauty. Stringy brown hair, weak chin, looked like his father, Walder's second son, Emin Frey. And Rob tells Cleos to rise. Catelyn's like, nope, his voice isn't icy enough. It's not as icy as Ned's would have been. And then she's like, but, you know, he doesn't sound like a boy either. So that's good. She's kind of pageant momming it a little bit here, <laughs> yes. judging little pageant like Rob, sit up straight, wave a little harder, be a little meaner. Well, she uh, fucking
1: read Cleo Spray <laughs> here too. I was like, damn, damn, that man's a captive, chill. <laughs> yeah, we're,
0: I think we stand Cleo's now. We're going to talk about it. Cap thinks might. that war had made a man of Rob before his time, she thinks. And I love that. I, I love that, especially coming right off of John's first chapter. So we end John's first chapter with J.R. Mormont talking to him, telling him, you know, revealing Aemon's true identity as a Targaryen. And they kind of both sit there mind blown, right? And they're like, wow, could have been a king. And he's like, yeah, man, a king. Dude was like, nah. Can't do that. So they talk about it. And then he gives John this monologue where he's like, a lord's one thing, a king's another. I'm sure that will come back. They will garb your brother, Rob, in silks, satins, and velvets of a hundred different colors while you live and die in black ringmail. He will wed some beautiful princess <laughs> and father son's honor. <laughs> You'll have no wife, nor will you ever hold a child of your own blood in your arms. Rob will rule. You will serve. Men will call you a crow. Him, they'll call your grace. Singers will praise every little thing he does while your greatest deeds all go unsung. Tell me that none of this troubles you, John. I'll name you a liar, and I know I have the truth of it. John drew himself up, and then John says, And if it did trouble me, what might I do, bastard as I am? What will you do? Mormont asked. Bastard as you are. Be troubled. And keep my vows. So, we talked about family versus duty. I hate you so
1: much, Chloe. Right. We you did this about... to yourself. You didn't have to throw in a John line. All right, I'm gonna victim blame. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm gonna victim blame Chloe.
0: <laughs> I never wanted it.
1: Uh, I almost called you Joey, combining, I guess, John into your name. As we come off of talking
0: about these themes that a Game of Thrones, Catelyn's art, was chasing family, right? And trying to keep and hold family and that a Clash of Kings is the Clash of Duty versus mm-hmm. that family. And here, Jon is dealing with that directly. Mormont is telling him, are you really going to be happy, man? Because it kind of sucks. You can say it sucks. We all know this sucks. We all know what you have made to give up. You've already taken your vows. So what the fuck else are you going to do? Uh, And vows feel very significant, right? We're hearing a lot of vows going on. Soon we'll have Rob making Cleos swear a vow on his honor. I'm like, Rob, you better settle down, because every time you point and make someone swear a vow, there are four, three fingers pointing back at you. I can't count. He's got some fingers pointing back at him. John also, you know, ends up dying. What? After breaking a vow kind of ish or planning to break a vow right and uh in those very black and white terms and i I don't know i think it's interesting that he also will come back and likely be kinged, as we know thanks to the hit tv experience hbo drama game of thrones that john will likely the white wolf the king in the north yeah Mm -hmm. a lord's one thing a king's another and john's gonna get both of those experiences it seems yeah. Though so he never wanted it. And Rob is now in the midst of one of them. It's not easy.
1: No, it's not. It's not. And with puberty. And yeah. having been already killed once. You know? Yeah. I don't think it's uh, it's anyone's cup of tea. Especially not Cleos' the sword on Rob's lap, right? It doesn't make him anxious, but the dire wolf does. Because the direwolf is now as big as an elkhound, Wind mm-hmm. is smoke dark with eyes of molten gold. He's just sniffing around Cleos, and you know, I, th- I think things being of molten gold doesn't really bode well for. A- doesn't really Ooh. bode well for anyone,
0: apparently. Boo! No, boo! Oh no! I'm, it might I didn't be meant think to of be. that. It
1: might be meant to be. They're both like older brothers. I don't know. Ugh. But we like one of them. <laughs> Cleos had seen the wolf take out half a dozen throats in the Whispering Wood, and he scrambles away from the wolf while the Northmen laugh. Then Rob reins in his dog, and by dog we mean wolf, and Cleos thinks his lord, but Lord Umber reminds him that it's your grace. Every- everyone's just out here just yelling shit, like Theon's like, Bury your king! And Lord Umber's like, your grace! Everyone's very, very into uh, correcting each other right now. It's like Twitter. Um, They're
0: forcing the respect like it's like you have to respect it's just kind of like all right we get it he's king now chill chill guys. They're just really
1: yeah trying to suck up I guess I don't know. It Um, is kind
0: of like the same uncouth energy that Catalan was like hey please stop you know just talking about our plans out loud in front of the phrase they're not (laughs) stupid they can hear you as you berate their intelligence in front of them.
1: Right right. Yeah, even though internally, internally, you know, as as you were saying earlier, right? So Cleos does correct himself, says your grace, and Catelyn thinks he's more afraid than Lannister. But again, you don't say that shit out loud. And yeah. that the Kingslayer would be a much different captive and says that, he, you know, or thinks that Jamie would have never bowed to saying your grace, which is probably true. Which is true. You know, jamie has got that pride. And also, I mean, if you want to see something close to that... Again, Scad's Whispering Wood. Fantastic. Um Rob has arranged for Cleos, who is relieved, to travel under a peace banner with thirty men, not twenty good men, thirty men, to escort him to King's Landing, where he'll bring Rob's terms to Cersei Lannister. And Rob wants him to understand that he is not being given freedom. His grandfather's support is crucial, but Cleos rode against them at the Whispering Wood, and that makes him a Lannister and not a Frey. Yeah,
0: what a great back and forth. How Rob sees Cleos compared to how mm-hmm. Catelyn sees Cleos feels so significant and a huge part of their individual and total downfalls in the story, right? Cat sees Cleos as a fray because Lannisters are big, bad, bold, brave, evil, big dick energy people, right? Like, she's like, you're not a Lannister. Lannisters are sassy and saucy and, and beautiful. Have, yeah, they're they're good looking and manipulative. You're just, you're a Weasley Frey, but Rob sees him as a Lannister because he fought for the Lannister's cause, Mm. right? Realistically, he just lived in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? I mean, you can't control how you're born into that family. They just keep making them. I mean, those models just keep coming out. They're like iPhones. But Freys just keep going is all I'm saying. But like, Cleos couldn't help that he was born, realistically. And I think this brings up that Bran's first chapter that we talked about briefly in the lightning round introduces that Lord of the Crossing Mayhaps game mm. going on with the Walders uh, up in the north with Bran and how, you know, it, it just really illustrates that back and forth of who's on whose side playing around with Kat and Rob with the Frey ideas.
1: Yeah, it does. And, I, you know, we have joked about, it, but we are going to talk about Cleos like a little bit in this chapter. And I find him interesting, right? You were talking about one person sees him as a or one person sees him as a fray. And I think he really embodies that theme of like, all right, so what makes you your family? That, that's a big question that the books ask. And that the war has ended up pitting him against his own family, right? If he's fighting for the Lannister side, then he's fighting against a lot of the Freys. And so how does he choose which side to pick? Right. And I think it's something that we're going to see in John's storyline uh since you brought John up right and you know the choices one makes Aemon had to choose not to right uh get involved in the Targaryen cause John's being asked to do that now but he's not fighting against the Starks but at some point he'll be like all right so what do I support the Stark cause or the Targaryen cause and it also speaks a little bit to something that Cleosa's cousin right Jaime talks about later on of so many vows they make you swear and swear so Where does Cleos'- where should his loyalty lie, right? His father's father has sworn to one king, and then his mother is related to the other.
0: And then you get into the idea of resources of it all, right? Like, also, you guys are working to clinch the Lannister supply lines, which is, you know, that's war. So that's fine. You're doing a war thing. But, like, guy's gotta eat. Guy has to fight for someone. He was also just on the wrong side of the river. Yeah. You know, at the wrong yeah. time. I mean, he was hanging out in the West and they were like, get your ass in the saddle. We're going to war, kid. Uh, I mean, not kid, but you know, it, it's just like, I don't know. Cleos is, we're going to talk about him more. Again, Cleos semi Stan account. I just feel bad for the guy because I'm like, I don't know. You, you can't help. Again, lots of kids born into these families lately. Yeah.
1: All right. I do feel bad for him.
0: Could have been anyone. I, I
1: don't, like, yeah, I don't, like, support him, but I'm just like, damn, you got you Drew shit straw.
0: He really takes and eats shit this whole journey, too, that we see him go yeah, through. Yeah, and he then he, died, he dies
1: on it. After eating shit, yeah. yeah. It sucks. So y- and if no you got fucking a water,
0: enough. a beer, a pot, pour it out for Cleos right now. Yeah. He might be, like, uptight and kind of squirrely, but, I mean, that's, like, on the better side of some of these phrase, okay?
1: Anyway. He's no Godri-faring, you know?
0: Yeah, he could be worse. He could be Godri-farting. Okay. Man, the
1: standard is the bar is low. <laughs> Fuck.
0: Rob makes Cleo's pledge on his honor as a knight. He'll deliver the message and return with the reply from the queen, as well as resume his captivity. Edmir warns, every man in the hall has heard your vow. And if you don't return, the whole realm will know your betrayal. Betrayed he stiffly off. vows, and he asks what he's going to present to the Queen. Rob declares terms of peace, long sword in hand. Meanwhile, in the back of the hall, Catelyn sees Carstark angrily shove through a rank of guards and go out the door. Oliver hands Rob his written list, who blows that off. If the Queen Regent meets Rob's terms, he'll sheath his sword and make an end to the war. First, she must release Sansa and Arya, fuck, providing transport from King's Landing to White Harbor. Sansa's betrothal to Joffrey, end. Cersei's cousins will be released, Willem and Tion, once Sansa and Arya are confirmed, returned to Winterfell. Eddard's bones will be returned, and he will be interred into Winterfell with his siblings. The men of House Stark who died in Ned's service must also be returned. Catelyn thinks living men had gone south and cold bones would return. Ned had the truth of it. His place was at Winterfell. He said as much, but would I hear him? No. Go, I told him. You must be Robert's hand, for the good of our house, for the sake of our children. My doing. Mine. No other.
1: So, we've said this before, right, during the Game of Thrones chapters, and something that we were talking about last chapter was Catelyn sort of taking on the guilt and internalizing things that weren't necessarily her fault. Maybe maybe to feel some control over it, but I do want to remind everyone that yes, Catelyn did at first tell Ned Yo, you're going to take this job, but she was also the one who fiercely advocated after Bran's injury and kind of seeing like mm, things seem different now that Ned not <laughs> go south
0: yeah maybe you don't take this new job and you stay with the fam real quick, and we you, you keep everyone here to heal,
1: yeah well, rip literally, rip. so Rob continues on, you think there's just one demand no there are many all right. Eddard's sword must be delivered to River Run, and then the queen will command her father to release the Stark captives from the Green Fork, and that in return, Rob will return the captives he had, except for Jamie, who will remain hostage for his father's good behavior. And then Catelyn watches Theon's sly smile, and that's how you know this was not a good idea, wondering what the young man was thinking, because she thinks that Theon had a way of looking like he knew a secret joke. That everyone else didn't, and Kat never liked that look. So we're starting to get a lot of setup for Theon here, right? For the Theon chapters, which you can all go listen to, because we covered those before. Uh, the oh. final demand is a pretty big one. King Joffrey and the Queen Regent must then renounce all claims to the North, and henceforth the North is no longer part of the realm but free and independent and shall include the Stark lands north of the Neck, as well as the lands watered by the River Trident and its vassal streams. The John is also the ultimate hype man.
0: The Great John is the ultimate hype man. He is out there going up and down the lines, microphone in hand, right? He's like, the king in the north, Stark, Stark, the king in the north. And he's just like, yeah, getting the crowd riled, anger translating for Rob every five seconds. He's like, brah, brah. And everyone's like, all right, just settle down, Great John. And Rob rolls up his parchment and he tells Cleos, I'll get you a new map from Maester Vymond. You should take this as canon. Give it to the queen. Tywin has to start respecting these borders and must stop raiding, burning, and pillaging them. And then finally, he says, no taxes, incomes, or service can be claimed from the north. All lords and knights will be freed from their oaths and pledges and debts owed to the Iron Throne, House Baratheon, and House Lannister. And then he's like, P.P.S., the Lannisters will also need to deliver 10 mutually agreed upon highborn hostages as a pledge of peace. They'll be treated as honored guests. PPPS, two will be released annually as long as the terms are kept. PPPS, if she doesn't meet the terms, he's not going to give her peace. And then he whistles, beckoning Greywind forward, who is snarling. He has not eaten this afternoon. Rob's, you know, in meetings all day. And he's like, I'll give her another whispering wood if she rejects my offer. And Grey wins like, and you know, it's a whole thing. It is. This is a big demand, as you kind of mentioned. This is a, a big ask, as we're going to talk about. And none of these things happen, right? <laughs> none of these things really come to pass in full. Uh, whether it is the storytelling retribution to Rob's oath-breaking, right, as a device to create tension for the later story, I mean, Cersei can't return both girls, as we know. She doesn't return Sansa. Sansa escapes. Sansa actually gets married off to Tyrion instead of Joffrey. Got him on that one. Ice gets melted down into two Lannister swords. The independent North and Riverlands does not go down, as Roose and Walder take over the respective roles. And Ned's bones really haven't made it home-home yet, to our knowledge. And obviously, Barbary is going to be like, Interesting, nice bones you have there. I'm the bone collector. This makes me think that from like the meta point of Rob being betrayed in general and all of these checkmates that we're talking about and how there's really no good answer to war and kingship and everything happening in this chapter, uh, the narrative point, all of these independent things not coming to pass, I feel like that means we have to see most of them completed by the end of the story by various members of House Stark and other people in the plot in various ways like Ned's bones being interred by the family, as we've talked about, would be a very emotional and resonant moment. Emotionally resonant, if you will. Sansa and Arya returning home. Sansa's marriage to Tyrion being annulled somehow. Uh, The Valyrian steel swords that make up ice being returned to protect the Stark children. The North and the Riverlands, probably independent. These are, you know, these are all ideas, but they're things that I do think will probably have to be turned around by the end of the story right because these are big like well big thoughts big thoughts big things hanging here and obviously queen sansa is about to bring some infrastructure i don't make the rules george does and these are things i could see sansa john arya and bran all accomplishing in different ways in westeros or out of westeros in their own independent nation
1: yeah i agree i agree with that and i do think you know the swords being Ice being divided into two swords speaks to that a little, and yeah, uh, you know the the terms, right? They don't come to pass immediately because I I am kind of like, damn, Rob, you didn't try at all, right? Like, yeah. I don't know if they should have tried or not, but it's clear that they didn't, right? They didn't even open a path at all for Jamie's release or anything. Like, you mm-hmm. can't keep him a hostage, like, indefinitely, forever, and ever, amen. And also, they, like, are like, yeah, um. so give us all the things that we want, and then also, you're gonna send us ten hostages. And I'm like, why the fuck would anyone agree to this? Yeah, it, it it's
0: kind of ridiculous. I mean... They already hate you guys enough to just be murdering you over a couple decades for, you know, funsies or whatever or for their own political prowess and to get ahead and circumstantial and incest. So, like, they're already cool with just, like, throwing people down or, you know, like, chopping their heads off publicly. And right now it's just the Starks or the Martells in the past, but it could be you tomorrow, you know, is the message, I guess. But, like, I get that. Like, I'm like, yeah, it's bullshit. They murdered Ned. That That's Bullshit. I get why you wouldn't bend a bit, but they also, on the other hand, already don't care about trying to kill you all. So why do you think these, I I guess it's diplomatic, right? Like they want to start negotiations high, get bitched down a little bit. It does become, as you said, you can't keep him indefinitely. And it gets to a point where it's like, all right, Chekhov's Lannister, you needed to make a decision about this already. And now you're losing men eventually over it, you know, like. You sit on it way too much. You needed a plan. And to be fair, they really shouldn't have made any sort of like, we give in till the Blackwater. They should have waited. Mm -hmm. But that's.
1: But they wouldn't. They didn't know that They can't.
0: They also couldn't. They also
1: couldn't. Yeah, they didn't. They couldn't. They didn't know. And also, I don't know, like, it's just. They had they didn't have enough leverage. And also they offered nothing. They offered them nothing. We're like, you don't even get your like big family member back member of the King's Guard.
0: Honestly, and then it's too little too late. Like, should have just tried. But then it's like also then war again, as Brynden will bring up later. Then you're just yeah. rehashing the evil in their mind. So it's like what happens when Jamie's back in the field? Ah,
1: That's why it's a clash of kings.
0: Oh my god. Cleos agrees to deliver this message. He's going to ride at first light. Rob commands he's given a meal, clean clothing. Rob closes his session and leaves. The knights and lords bending the knee as he and Greywind exit. Catelyn follows him and Oliver out. Edmir at her side praising how Rob held court, but also Catelyn's like, but at the same time, the use of your wolf on Cleos. It was kind of more befitting a boy than a king, Rob. Rob plays it cool in return, but Catelyn reminds him, Lord Karstark walked out at this display. Rob takes off his crown. He has Olivar take it up to the bedchamber. And I do have to say it's interesting that there's something about the second the crown's removed, Rob and his mother are able to actually speak more freely to each other about what's really going on and what's on their mind.
1: And beyond just speaking freely, right, Rob ends up becoming her a boy again during that time, right? Very much a son. Like, mm-hmm. how did that go? And kind of getting his, mother, his mother's opinion, things like that. Approval,
0: too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple other things here that I think stood out. Uh, Rob giving Cleos a meal and clean clothing, guest right, right, in that token that he was kind of giving Cleos guest right, saying, all right, we won't kill you, prisoner of war. But at that same time, Cleos is being made to swear these vows in front of everybody by Rob, which really feels hammered home now, knowing what happens someday Mm -hmm. uh, when Rob breaks his own vow to the phrase. Hmm. Even this Lannis Frey kept his vow, you know, uh, and I do think maybe this is going to be a semi-unpopular reading of it, but I think Rob's boyish display is definitely for his bannermen. Not purely in a bad way, but you have to have control in front of the Northmen who see him as Ned's boy, right? Mm-hmm. It was a show for them and the Rivermen in front of Cleos, who didn't deserve it. He didn't, uh, yeah. he's not that bad a dude, just, Born, lived, hanged near the wrong place. He did his duty to the family that he was supposed to. But it's like, I don't know, I just feel bad for him because what was he supposed to do?
1: Yeah, I don't know that that's like, or should be unpopular. I think that's definitely what it is, right? Because power is just as much as that mummer's show, right? And that's what Varys points out. And that's what Rob is putting on. That's why we were comparing it to Danny's floppy ears earlier on. It's a performance that he's putting on to exert his power. And I I agree about Cleos. I mean, this chapter makes me feel, like, really bad for him. And maybe I'm supposed to actually feel more bad for Cleos in, like, the Jamie chapters. Because, you know, he dies in those. But I actually feel more bad for him here when I, like, take a look at, like, all the things that he's going to have to do the rest of his life. And I'm just like, wow, that's just so exhausting. Like, he goes to war against his family. Then he gets captured... After watching a bunch of people die, then he's subjected to like this whole fucking show, <laughs> and then he gets sent all the way back to the capital, right? Which is like a bazillion miles away on horseback, gets like almost attacked in a couple of things. Then he gets sent all the way back to River Run, right? And then he's supposed to go, and then he gets captured again, right? Because Tyrion has sent, like, people to free Jaime, and then he gets in a bunch of trouble. But then Cleos gets sent again all the way back to the capital, and this time in secret, so with less protection, and then doesn't die. But, like, the entire thing, it is just so, it's just so tiring to think about. <sighs>
0: It is tiring. It's I do so feel far. for him. And it's like, that's a, you were like, maybe I should feel worse for him later. And the first thing I thought was, I don't know, his suffering's over. Shit.
1: That's also true. And then Jamie <laughs> has to like lie to his parents and be like, yeah, he uh, he died fantastically. He was very brave and we bar- gave him a proper burial. I'm like, damn, that boy didn't even get that. Oh my god.
0: Edmure declares there are probably others who felt similarly to Karstark. He thinks they should be marching on Harrenhal, Karstark does, while the Lannisters continue to burn the Riverlands, but Rob is like, we lack the strength. Edmure says their host is dwindling every day, and Catelyn's like, yeah, but part of that is your fault. She totally snaps at him. Edmure had insisted Rob give the Riverlords leave to defend their own lands after he had been crowned. Mark Piper, Carol Vance, they're the first to go. Jonas Bracken follows. Jason Malister was the most recent to announce his intent to leave to Seaguard, which had been mercifully untouched by the fighting. Admir says he can't ask his men to stay idle while their people in fields are being slaughtered, but Lord Karstark is a Northman. It would not be great if he left their cause. Rob's like, alright, I'll speak with him. Uh, I can't blame him for not wanting to make peace with his son's killers. And then he's like, I guess my father's killers... Catelyn reminds him, bloodshed will not bring Ned nor Rickard's sons back to them. They have to make an offer. Although she adds, a wiser man might have offered a little sweeter terms.
1: Yes, agreed. And Rob responds that any sweeter, and he would have been gagged. And, like, I don't know, Rob. You really, it really could have been a little sweeter. And his beard had continued to grow redder than his auburn hair. And he seemed to think that it made him look fierce and older. But bearded or no, he's still 15. And again, you all know how I feel about those. And he wants vengeance as much as Rickard Stark. Kat reflects that it had been difficult to even get Rob to make this offer. And I'm like, shit, what were the first ones? And she reiterates to him that Cersei will never trade Arya and Sansa for a pair of Lannister cousins. She will want the Kingslayer. And I'm like, I know right. they were never going to trade Arya anyway. But whatever, you know,
0: <laughs> whatever. Yeah, they're not worth that. That's not worth that. Those are siblings. Come on now. You guys haven't played Crusader Kings and it shows.
1: I mean, they didn't have Arya, so it would have, it would have all been fucked <laughs> didn't anyway. not matter.
0: No, it's all next. And, you know, it, I have to tell you, sidebar, this reminds me of uh, Kim's Convenience episode mm. that we watched this week. The one where Mr. Kim writes a letter of reference for Gerald. And it's very blunt and honest.
1: So <laughs> I think we do that.
0: <laughs> just hear like you really couldn't have made it sweeter, Rob, you sure? Uh yeah. Very similar, very similar. Well, Rob says his lords would never abide them releasing the Kingslayer. She argues, These same lords just made you their king, Rob, and he's like, Yeah, but they can unmake me just as easily, Mom.
1: I get it. I get it, Rob. That's what the next book is about when we <laughs> when we see what happens to J and to Joffrey and I get it.
0: Yeah, and then the other books too. Anyways. Yeah, and Catelyn.
1: then John at the end of that. <laughs> yep. Dance,
0: <laughs> whatever. Yep. yep. Quentin, John, they all they all just die.
1: YOLO. Well actually not yeah. true. Not YOLO. Not YOLO. Uh
0: well John, yeah. Yeah. And Kat. Catalyn <laughs> says if this crown is the price to bring Sansa and Arya home, they should pay it willingly. And then she starts to say, if Jamie is murdered in his cell while still prisoner, men will say, and he cuts her off and he's like, that he deserved it. You might want to watch what you say, Rob. Be careful what you say, because that could happen to you one night. She asks, Damn. what about your sisters? Will they deserve their deaths as well? She says, if anything happens, Cersei would pay them back blood for blood. But Rob's like... Lannister won't die, he has food, water, and more comfort than he should have, but I'm not freeing him, not even for Arya and Sansa. I mean, the reality is no, he shouldn't throw down his crown for them. Thousands and thousands of people's lives are at risk from living under this tyranny, and as we'll talk about, that cycle can just start over and over again easily, but the other reality is also Ned died to save the children. Ned's like one wish was like, I'm doing this to save my daughter. I am up here proclaiming Joffrey is a, a good king, a real ruler, and Robert's son because it's promising my daughter's safety. It's mm-hmm. the thing I'm gonna do to save them. So, it does kind of ring a little bit that I'm like, mm, what what's the choice, right? Reality is Sansa's already suffering in King's Landing because of Rob's wins, and she would suffer probably similarly After his losses, right? I mean, this is keeping her alive, bloody bit by bloody bit, right? For the moment. But even before the treaty reaches Cersei's ears, that's already happening. You know, in the very first chapter, your brother Jaime keeps losing battles, is what he says to Tyrion, and then he gives Sansa an angry look, as if it were her fault. He's been taken by the Starks, and we've lost River Run, and now her stupid brother is calling himself a king. There's no winning.
1: I, I agree. And I think that's a great point that, uh, I mean, Ned was willing to give it all up, right? For his daughter's daughter individually here to be alive. He would have done it for Arya as well. And I mean, the big picture is right. And I understand. I understand the big picture view that Rob has taken. That this is the sacrifice that he's chosen. And it's his sister depending, you know, on, based mm-hmm. on the knowledge that he has, it's his sisters. But I also don't think Catelyn is wrong for wanting to save her daughters, right? Same as yeah. Ned wasn't. And I I know this isn't, like, true of every mother, but I know personally that my mother would do anything, and she would sacrifice and trade anything, even a kingdom, mm-hmm. for my safety. And I see that as what Catelyn is doing here. And in another way, I kind of also see what what's happening here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Catelyn's choices—it's um, both similar and different, interestingly, to Edmure's. Her brother, who was raised in many of the same ways that she was, and Edmure's decision in letting the Riverlands lords go, and Edmure's decision makes sense tactically, and it's very aligned with the Edmure that we get later. Because again, we are we are Edmure uh, apologists. I don't think there's anything to be in but we're Edmure stands.
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> fine, we stand everything.
1: Yeah, we stand everything now. It's we're like, very balanced. Absolutely, we don't. Except for Stannis. Um. Anyway, so <laughs> it, what Edmure does, it's aligned with the man who says, "My people, they were afraid." Right when he makes that choice, and he understood the value of that individual safety and the desire to protect one's own family. Right, that that first part of the tully house words and that's very much like what catelyn wants right she wants this smaller scale individual good the safety of her family her daughters together and i think there is absolutely value in that beyond just wanting her family together wanting to protect her family which is what Edmure empathizes with amongst his lords and it's that the stark girls then cannot be used as pawns against rob's claim or war which we see ends up happening of course later on in the story but in contrast, but it also does contrast with Edmure's actions in that I think that the chapter kind of goads us into thinking that Edmure's decision to send the Lord's home was a bit naive, especially because like, yes, we know now in hindsight and, and seeing like Edmure fully that it is well-intentioned, but we get the news from the Blackfish that, you know, everything went to shit, right? We sent the Lord's home and that weakened our military force. The Lords now individually are floundering. The dairies are all dead but Kat's impetus to bring the whole family back together is much more of like that Stark, the pack survives. And that's mm-hmm. not what Ednor did, right? By letting the Riverlands go home and, and how that's sort of a supposed blunder.
0: Yeah, and that that's interesting that you bring up the weakening of Rob's claim. I kind of forget about that as we get into it. That is a big part of it. You know, uh, being able to use those girls as pawns. And obviously, later on, we know Arya does get used as that pawn without even being there, lol. That's true. Everyone's dead, so it doesn't matter, but... (laughs) I (laughs) hope the princess
1: dies. (laughs) Oh my god.
0: Uh, Well, be careful. Again, they gotta quit saying all these bold, rash things, these Starks.
1: Yeah, (sighs) I agree.
0: Her son was looking down at her, Catelyn realized. Was it war that made him grow so fast, she wondered, or the crown they had put on his head? Cat asks if Rob's afraid to have Jamie back in the field, and Greywind growls, sensing Rob's anger. Pew pew pew! Edmere puts his hand on Cat's shoulder, saying, Don't, the boy has the right of this. Of course, this sets Rob off, the boy is kind of the no-no phrase. Uh, he turns his anger at his uncle and he's like, I am a man grown and a king, not a boy.
1: Rob, you're not, but anyways.
0: <laughs> kind of.
1: I, I do feel bad, though, because Enyer was just trying to back Rob up, right? He was just like, Catelyn, let it go. But again, you know, the Stark family, they've all taken it all wrong, but it's because he's unintentionally, right, touching the, uh, Rob's insecurity and why he's the performance that he has to put on with the crown. Which I think Catelyn fairly, uncourteously, right, this this was not great of her, kind of needled him on by goading him with with uh, those lines about Jamie.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it was a bit much. I think, uh...
1: Not very motherly, a little immature.
0: Everyone is stressed, Cat, okay? Mm-hmm. We're all running on limited resources here trying to run this rebellion. Eat a fucking Snickers. Oh my God. You gotta keep going. I <laughs> know everyone's dying around you,
1: and your husband, and you're grieving. But and
0: your father, and your daughters—you're never gonna see him again until, except maybe that one time when you might. Fingers yeah. crossed. Which uh. is why she's
1: taking it out on, like I guess, her son, right? Because she feels he's the mm. one keeping it out. But it's still not—it's not a very nice mother thing to say or do.
0: Yeah. But well, I'm not a parent, Rob. Rob brings it out. He's like, I'm not afraid of Jamie. I'll defeat him again if I have to, but and then he trails off, and he's like, I might have been able to trade Jamie for Ned, but and now Catelyn finishes his sentence in a rare turn of events, and she says, but not for girls. Girls are not important enough, are they? <sighs> this one is earned. I mean, it is earned. Very mm-hmm. uh Arya's, the woman is important too, right? Uh, ringing those vibes, and It's sadly fitting, right, if Sansa does become the queen in the motherfucking north after all of this, it's sad, right, it's kind of poetic, like, that she wasn't worth saving now but she might save it all at the end or be the person to lead them at the end. And it is perfect introduction of tension here for Catelyn because Catelyn's last POV chapter in this book, of course, is her freeing Jamie in her last-ditch hope effort to save what part of her family that she can save
1: hmm absolutely you're right it does tie in the whole from the start to the end of this book well we have this line of rob made no answer but there was hurt in his eyes blue eyes tully eyes eyes she had given him she had wounded him but he was too much his father's son to admit it that was unworthy of me she told herself. Gods, be good. What is to become of me? He is doing his best, trying so hard. I know it. I see it. And yet I have lost my Ned. The rock my life was built on. I could not bear to lose the girls as well. (laughs) And I get that. I I really do. And Rob says he'll do what he can for his sisters, but I don't know, the terms that he offered doesn't really feel like it. And it, he says, if the queen has sense, she'll accept the terms or else, and again, I'm just like, what the fuck does that mean? Why? The terms make no sense. Like, what are you gonna <laughs> do,
0: bark at her?
1: Right, like, he's like, if she has no sense, I'm like, no, if the queen has sense, she's not gonna fucking accept this. This is These are ridiculous terms.
0: Also, anyway. he's totally missing the fact that, like, Cersei's narcissism at adoring having a miniature girl in an unfortunate situation to eat the misery off of like oh yeah cersei loves it sansa's her buddy man she's like oh you're an annoying little dweeb but i kind of like bullying you day and night and emotionally abusing you
1: she likes to project she's projecting on yeah Sansa.
0: no one ever lets her project for that long
1: that's true except for no jamie does yeah
0: but he learned Slow learners, but they learn.
1: Oh my god. All right, anyways, so Rob turns the tables back to Catelyn, asking if she's certain that she won't go to the twins while the warring happens, because he had hoped that Catelyn could help her choose a pride of the phrase when the war is done. But Shut up, Rob. Yeah, right, but Catelyn catches Dick. on that truly, she's like, kings don't want their mothers at court, especially mothers that tell him what he doesn't want to hear. And so she just responds with, coolly with, Well, Rob, I think you're old enough to choose your wife without me. And so he insists then instead that Catelyn go with Theon to escort the captives to Seaguard, and then find a ship home to Winterfell to Bran and Ricken who need her. And so again, she reads the subtext here of he does not need her. She had actually, though, it turns out planned to stay at Riverrun besides, with her dying father. And then Rob, kind of like mentions, semi-threatens that he could command her to go, as king. This is a little petulant thing. As as king, I could. Like, okay, Rob.
0: Okay, settle down. Power hungry. You just got this crown. Don't lose it in a day, bitch. Your mother is not too old. To she's really not
1: too old. She's not.
0: (laughs) There is something here. Uh that that reminds me so much of Joffrey and the way his relationship with Cersei has mm. been highlighted. Yes. The language feels connected also with how Joffrey actually speaks to Sansa in the first chapter. Joffrey turned his head. What did you say? Sansa could not believe she had spoken. Was she mad to tell him no in front of half the court? And of course, he comes back and says, Did you say I can't? Did you? That I can't, you know, and that like kingly little... Thing going on, definitely some young boy kings that are uh, still coming into their own here. I mean, Cersei did just learn firsthand that you can't control your king's son, right? Like when sons turn into kings, things change. And when Ned's head rolled, she learned that one for sure. She was like, "Wow, I've been outdone at my own goddamn game." And now Catelyn's learning that same lesson after Ned's head is rolled.
1: Yeah, the power dynamics shift, right, from the Mm -hmm. usual sort of parenting one. And I mean, like, I mean, in general, right, it shows you that your teenage rebellion is hard on parents, especially when your teenager is not just rebelling against you, but launching a large scale political rebellion in general.
0: And if you guys like that, you should definitely read His Dark Materials, because... Mm. Just you wait. There's war against God.
1: Attack and dethrone God.
0: <laughs> Anarchy isn't easy, Mom. This isn't a phase. Ugh, it is tough. It is tough. It is. Catelyn ignores this and she's like, interesting threat. Gonna keep glossing over that one. Moving on. She quips, she's like, I'd rather you send someone else to Pike and keep Theon close to you. And He asks, who better to treat with Balin than his son? She lists pretty much every man under the sun who would be better than Theon. She's like, what about that guy over there? He'd be better. (laughs) He reminds her though, he's like, Theon saved Bran from the Free Folk in the Wolfswood, and we need Lord Greyjoy's ships. And she's like, yeah, but you'd acquire them faster if you kept Theon hostage. E.g. look at the Iron Throne uh, with Sansa. She tries to explain, Theon's been kept a hostage for good reason. Balin can't be trusted. He may aspire to wear his own crown again. So for what it's worth, this isn't just like Catelyn butting in. This is also Ned's take, like straight up Ned's take. Ned knew and insisted Theon needed to be watched. He said it to Catelyn before he left. From this day on, I want a careful watch kept over Theon Greyjoy. If there's war, we shall have sore need of his father's fleet.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is, as you said, yes, it is Ned's orders. And as we know, right? I mean, Kat is right. Ned is right. They are both Mm -hmm. right. Um, But also, I think that Rob's decision to send Theon to the Iron Islands actually shows how much he is both like Ned and Kat, how much he is their son, but in different ways, because I, (laughs) yes, Ned would not have let go of Theon, right? But if you mm-hmm. look at, like, Rob's own circumstances, right, Ned ends up on the path that he did because he chose that path out of love. And it's clear that Rob loves Theon like his own brother. Yeah. You know, you know Ned dies out of love for Sansa, like family, and Theon's like family to, to Rob. And, I mean, look at the other huge mistake that Rob makes in his life. It's also born out of love for his other brother, Jon. He marries Jane so as to not make a bastard mm-hmm. like John. So that's that's part of his impetus being like Theon would never betray me. But also for Rob to send Theon away, and trusting in Theon to fulfill this really big, wild, negotiating ask, sending away this hugely important hostage, I mean that's also very much like his mother and what she does at the end of this book.
0: Yeah. And maybe if he had put in like some foundational, like when you do this, I have big plans for you. Maybe if he had maybe put some incentive, carrot in front of the horse there, reminded him how much he loved him, you know, like the uh, High School of Thrones series. You're my bro, bro. Uh, <laughs> I it
1: thought was, that was a good reference they here. They should have called it We Do Not Party Rock. I still stand it by that. It should have been We Do Not Bro, anyway.
0: We, we do not bro. Yeah, I I don't know. I do think that maybe some foundation could have been laid for Theon not to believe all of his father's negging when he shows up. Like, there's the fact that obviously Asha's, uh, ambiance, we'll call it, is a little threatening to Theon, who has been away for so long. And also that Theon's like desperate for love, uwu. So I'm just like curious. I'm like, if only, you had laid it out a little more foundationally for Theon and maybe made a convincing case for what he was doing and how much you loved him, Rob.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it could have stood up to it. I think it would have made Theon's decision harder, but I don't know.
0: Could have offered him Sea Dragon Point or some shit.
1: That's true, right? Uh, or- Yeah. He could have offered him, but, you know, the catch is he has to get Sansa back. He could have offered him Sansa's hand. I don't know if he would have done that because... Technically, Theon is a hostage, and therefore that is lower. But, mm. you know, emphasizing that, but at the same time, is it enough, right? Because we see, yeah. it's something that we discussed at the end of our Pentos Patreon episode, how the desire and the chase for love when you're denied it is such a big driving factor for characters. And for Theon, yeah. he very so much clearly craved A father's love, especially his father's love, and and approval. He craved that Mm -hmm. family. And obviously the Starks were never going to be that for him, even if Rob felt that way about him.
0: And, you know, bringing back kind of some of that idea, we talked a little bit, you know, we bring up Sea Dragon Point, and I really still feel strong that Asha may have some sort of involvement with the North in her endgame, whether it be, Mm -hmm. you know, making that little area a nice place and some sort of some sort of resolution between the Mormons and the Greyjoys has to go down I think that's bigger than just like hey we fought next to each other in Stannis's camp and you were pretty cool that one time you know I think there has to be some sort of just fix on those relationships they got to do something there because Ash is kind of sitting there like oh wow we were dicks uh and So something feels poetic about how here Rob brings up, I wouldn't grudge Balin a crown. If I'm king in the north, why can't he be king of the Isles? If that's what he wants, as long as he helps bring down the Lannisters. He says that's his
1: Like You get a crown. You get a crown.
0: Everyone get a crown. This is literally Mean Girls. It's literally the end of Mean Girls. Uh, (laughs) Rob does say, though, he's like, well, that's my final decision. Have a good day. Goodbye. Uh, Takes off, and I do think that there's something there that sticks out about Theon as well, not just the the foreshadowing of the idea of Sea Dragon Point or anything like that happening, but also uh, a Wolfswood showdown. It's troubling for me to say, but I'll say it again for you all because I know you all enjoy it. The Wolfswood? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I wonder if there's foreshadowing for maybe an eventual Wolfwood showdown uh, Mm -hmm. where Theon protects Bran there, you know, Bad Show did God's wood, which makes sense because we are wood powers, so it could just be Godswood, but something feels really poetic about the wolf wood, and maybe maybe it's Theon the Hungry Wolf that's sticking out a stark of old in my brain, but something feels important about it.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. And Theon is hungry, ambitious, if nothing else.
0: Like the wolf.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, not anymore, mm-hmm. I guess. He's not like that. Mm-hmm. Mm, 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 mm. Things that are like wolves and that are hungry like wolves are in fact uh wolves. And oh like <laughs> a Rob- great segue! Thank you. Rob walked off briskly, the direwolf padding beside him. Catelyn could only watch him go. Her son, and now her king. How queer that felt. Command. She had told him back in Moat Cailin, and so he did. Well, Catelyn announces after. That exhausting display of again teenage rebellion. She is now going to visit her father, and she's like, like commands Ender to follow, uh, but Ender's like, ah, uh, no, <laughs> he declines, claiming that he must visit with the new bowman being trained, and he says that he'll visit him later. And Catelyn thinks if he still lives, and I'm like, that was that was petty. It was petty. Um, I think there are well, moments she didn't it- say it. Yeah, at least she didn't say it, but it was also like, damn, why is she just ordering her younger brother? alright, we're going to visit Dad now. Um, there are moments in this chapter that I understand. Like I think you can see some of why people criticize Catelyn, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not the best behavior on anyone's part, and, and especially when she's needling her son.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I, I do think we see in this chapter a little bit of what we'll see later on of everyone kind of takes their shit out on Edmure, which kind of sucks. Like, Again, Rob taking out his frustrations slash insecurities about being a young king. And taking out his frustrations with his mother, you know, still trying to mother him. He can't do it directly to Catelyn, though he kind of flexes a little. So he takes it out on Edmure instead. And then now Catelyn is taking out her frustrations of being unable to get her son to follow her and losing control of him. Because, yeah, now he's a king, but really it's because you know, he's 15 and that's why we keep thinking about his beard, but, I mean, George always says that he likes to take things and inspiration from, like, real things that have happened and turn it up to 11, and this is that, with, um, that change in power dynamic between son and mother, and, and Catelyn's taking that out on Edmure.
0: Yeah, it it does ring through pretty hard, especially because, I don't know, I think Cat does have that want to just fix things. She's like, we just have to fix it all, but that's not how this works. War is complicated, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: <sighs> war is complicated.
1: It is. She travels through the grass of the godswood and its wildflowers. It's still summer, in the face of the Citadel's announcement of autumn, and Autumn was a fearful season, with winter looming ahead, harvest scarce, and now her father on his deathbed. And I'm like, damn, Catelyn's out here being like, I'm in the autumn slash winter of my life. And I'm like Hey,
0: Lana Del Rey.
1: Right. I'm like, girl, get it together. You are thirty two. Pick yourself up, alright. Everyone still again thinks you are MILF. Theon's out here like just lifting you out of boats. You know, Cat maybe, maybe.
0: post in the selfies with the lyrics in the caption.
1: Right, like, I think Theon wanted to- I think he would have been down for Kat to accompany him on the trip.
0: Yo, he had his hands on her waist. I'm just saying, milf in the north.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Rob's mom has got it going on.
1: Actually, everyone thinks that. Especially Littlefinger.
0: Oh my god. (sighs) Hoster is lying in his solar- the view of the tumblestone and the Red Fork is beyond. Frail, he's sleeping. Besides him sits his brother, Brynden, still dressed in his mail and a traveling cloak, splattered with mud. Brynden tells her he came straight here and just barely missed Rob cold- holding court. He'd rather give his grace his tidings in private first. He asks how Hoster has been, and Kat says much the same. He's being fed painkillers, eating little, sleeping lots. He speaks, but makes less and less sense. That feels, now that I say it, I'm like, huh, he speaks. Does he remember? Regrets. Long dead people, long past places. Once he even called her Minissa, her mother's name. Brynden tells her, well, you have her face, her cheekbones, jaw. Catelyn says, well, he would remember more than she did, but it's been a very long time. They both then start to gaze at Hoster, Brynden remarking, Each time I ride out, I wonder if I shall find him alive or dead on my return. Catelyn remarks back, At least you made your peace with him. And they sit in silence for a while, until Catelyn finally decides to ask him what his tidings are.
1: Yeah, so the peace that Brynden and Hoster have made Right. And how we were discussing last chapter, Hoster wanting to see Liza once more, I think gives credence to the idea that Hoster was hoping to see her to make peace and ask for forgiveness. Right. He's mm-hmm. he's doing this like end of life thing um, with with Brynden. And then also as he's thinking of Tansy, and I'm not I'm not saying that Hoster deserves forgiveness. Right. For what he did to mm-hmm. Liza. And it, it was very hurtful, what he did to his daughter. But I also think like that's kind of the point when it comes to forgiveness, right? It's never necessarily deserved, right? It's a gift if you receive it. And I think that's a big part that ties into the themes of Catelyn's own story when we look at it in the context of Lady Stoneheart. Like It's telling that this moment comes up in the same chapter as Lord Karstark's uh, walking out as his sons are brought up again. Uh, Just like last chapter and also those barrack sightings Mm because forgiveness here, right? It's for when you are on your deathbed. It's making peace. Forgiveness Mm -hmm. can come before then, right? Um, But that's not the sort of death that Catelyn ends up getting. Forgiveness is just like out of the question. For her and forgiveness is in a way a kind of mercy but now she's mother merciless and yet forgiveness and mercy i think are going to be big parts of the stork storyline uh we've discussed it for the other character povs especially for the kids and the different ways that they are doing mercy justice and vengeance like the differences between those things and there's something to be said, too, of what's happening here as Hoster dies, that he's losing his memories, and again, how that ties with Barrick, who each time he dies and comes back, he's losing his memories, and though it is said that she don't speak, but she remember, clearly being dead for three days has taken a toll on some things, like, there's... There's some things that she's lo- she's missing, right? Clearly she's, she mm. might not remember. She might remember the hurt that was sent her, but what are the things she doesn't remember anymore, right? She doesn't remember the happiness. She doesn't remember peace. She doesn't remember love and forgiveness. Well, she
0: started forgetting them here.
1: Yep, that's true.
0: We begin the descent, the slow descent. Well, then it's very fast, and then it's over. <laughs> Well said all around, Eliana. Thank you. And then it's over, then they die. They head outside of the solar to the stone balcony, and Brynden frowns upward at the red streak staining the sky. He says his men, much like Varys called it already in this book, call it the Red Messenger. Catelyn says the great John told Rob, The old gods have unfurled a red flag of vengeance for Ned, but Edmure thinks it's an omen of victory, a red fish with a long tail, Tully colors, on blue. Catelyn sighs, she knows crimson is a Lannister color. But, Brynden says it's not crimson, nor is it the Tully mud red. It's blood smeared across the sky. She asks, our blood or theirs? But he responds, no war has ever had only one side bleed. I
1: want to give a big congratulations to Brendan Tully for saying in one line what we were saying last chapter about peace. Thanks, bro. Uh, He says it better. Yeah, right. It's almost like it's a thing that George meant for us to get, anyway. A theme. (laughs) What? Those are for 8th grade
0: book reports. That's pretty much what this is.
1: Mm, Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting for you to say that. Um. The fighting already bloody in the Riverlands, has moved south to the Blackwater and then north across the Trident almost at the Twins. Mark Piper and Carol Vance have won small victories and the southern lordling (laughs) Beric Dondarrion has been raiding the foraging parties in Vanishing. Burton Crate Call had been heard boasting he'd slain Dondarrion until he led his column into one of his traps and every man was killed. Suspicious. (laughs) Cat remembers that some of Ned's men were still with this lord Beric and says, May the gods preserve them.
0: Man, and if she's lucky, of course, with her preservation talk, uh, they might, because Beric's red priest who rides with them has been helping the preserving process, we hear, mm. Thoros. We also hear in the prologue that Beric Dondarrion has gone missing, some say dead. So these are our actual very first real. how many lives does this motherfucker have? Notes. Exciting to mm-hmm. actually find him alive and dead in the next book.
1: Yeah, and interestingly, of course, get that through her daughter, through Callan Satter. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Brendan swats all that aside, though, and remarks that the Satter Tales are the River Lords. Rob shouldn't have let them go because now they are scattered like quail, weak instead of united. Jonas Bracken was wounded fighting in the ruins of his castle, his nephew slain, Titus Blackwood had defended his land, but the Lannisters had taken all of his stores of food and his animals. The men recaptured their lord's keep, but held it less than a fortnight before Gregor Clegane took it, putting them all to the sword. Cat is horrified at the death of the boy lord Derry, and Brynden remarks that he was the loss of his line as well. He would have bought a big ransom, but Gregor is a beast and doesn't care for ransoms.
0: How sad. The last of his line. Mm -hmm. And like I mentioned last chapter, the Dairy Boy feels like kind of blatant Winterfell for- There's a lot of blatant Winterfell foreshadowing going on in these chapters, in the last few chapters of like, what's going to happen at Winterfell? Uh, All the lords protect the boy lord and his keep, but they still can't save him and he gets burnt down by the big bads. Mm Mm-hmm dot 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 well well well. <laughs> well so we'll get to that eventually obviously but i find that some blatant foreshadowing blatant blatant brindan says gregor's head would make a noble gift for all the people of the realm and Catalan's like don't talk about heads right now ned's is mounted above the red keep alone but for the flies I do think that connection with Skulls, like Alaria's later speech, as we talked about last chapter, comes right back in here. Justice for the North, justice for Dorne. It feels significant that Amory, Lorch, and Gregor are once more being called out for committing atrocities against people with their participation in the you know rebellion and the slaughter of Elia and her babes. And I just think it's really well done because we're about to get a lot of villain introductions here, right? And Catelyn goes back and forth. She says, Clegane is nothing but a cat spa, ah, uh, for Tywin. And she thinks Tywin is the true danger, which, true. Brynden also is like, true. But he reminds her, Tywin hides in Hall, He sends his dogs into the field. Amory Lorch, you know, Gregor, and also a sellsword out of Kohor, who'd sooner maim a man than kill him. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Is that foreshadowing? Ah, uh, ah, uh, yeah, it is. It is. (laughs) I don't know him. (laughs) I don't know him. It is great. The introduction of Vargo. I I think that significance of these henchmen, though, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. He didn't really have a lot of big bad henchmen fully, fully screen ready or page ready here. So Gregor and Amory are obviously the significant ones. But at the same time, that might be an effect of gardening. But also, when they die, war doesn't stop which is proven in both Catelyn's point and Brynden's point, right, that this won't stop until Tywin is dead and other men will still rise up to take that place as hired goon or as evil lord that wants to reap the benefits. It feels really important, right, because as these men are killed, wars continue on, vengeance is uh, not really being acquired for House Martell or House Stark or the Riverlands in the face of Gregor being killed and Amory Lorch dying.
1: That's very true, and... Yeah, no, I, no, I absolutely agree. As other people, right, from the horrors that they commit, are turned into their own sort of monsters and broken men.
0: Ugh, and it's a bigger systematic problem. Zombies, it is.
1: cyclical. Oh, yeah, that too. I forgot that. <laughs> yeah, that's also part of it. <laughs> the whites, <laughs> and and the fire whites, the ice whites, <laughs> and the fire whites. Both of them are problematic. It's a lot, of, a lot of zombies. Different kinds. Exciting. Oh, and Gregor Cleane. Gregor Whatever kind of the fuck he is. Yeah, Robert Strong zombie. He's a, He's a dark zombie.
0: elf. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, so these men are out here now, burning the Riverlands, when Catelyn says, when Edmure hears this, he will rage. And Brendan explains, well, The problem is that's exactly what Tywin wants, he wants the lords into battle, and Catelyn thinks Rob will grant Tywin that wish then, that the other lords will urge him on after his two victories, and that the way the men speak of him, he might have been Aegon the Conqueror Reborn. I'm like, well... They're wrong. That's dumb. Because if Rob were like Aegon the Conqueror born, then he would just take two wives, right? Uh, and it wouldn't just be Jane, and then we wouldn't have any of this red wedding nonsense. Yeah, that
0: Obviously. would cut through all the red tape.
1: Obviously, yeah. Absolutely. Cut through the red wedding tape, yeah.
0: <sighs> the Blackfish says, well, those men are fools for egging him on. They should never yeah. give the enemy his wish. Tywin wants them to march on Hall and all of its tall towers in pride. And then we get Heron's story, Heron Hall's story. Heron plunders his neighbors, thousands of captives and slaves. They all die after making this crazy keep for decades, and he ends up getting roasted anyway by Aegon. And we have this line, "Heron and all his line had perished in the fires that engulfed his monstrous fortress, and every house that held Heron Hall's sense had come to misfortune. Strong it might be, but it was a dark place and cursed." A few thoughts there, right? Uh, again, heavy foreshadowing for a great keep burning down and everyone, the last of the line, dying. So mm-hmm. Bran and Ricken in Winterfell later. But also, just a casual reminder that technically the crown says Heron Hall is Baelish's. It's mm-hmm. cursed, baby. I don't make the rules. George does.
1: I mean, beyond <sighs> like the other curses of it, like it belonging to. It belonging to Peter Baelish, That's that's its own kind of curse too.
0: It's kind of just hysterical because like he'd never have the money to like upkeep that keep.
1: Yeah, he's <laughs> like, I just want to hold it. Yeah. I, well, and also he's he's superstitious, right? He's like, I'm not going
0: yeah. there. He's honestly just hoping to flip it when the markets are good, make a quick he buck. Is. He
1: kind of is. Yeah.
0: He's uh, the, like the kind he's of guy that it. bought a lot of Reddit, GameStop, stocks. Oh my God. You know?
1: He's trying to flip it for the veil, right? Using it to get that marriage to Liza. Uh Yeah,
0: he is honestly, he is one of those great sources out there that is just buying up housing in the middle of this crisis in Westeros. Mm. (sighs) Well, I also really, really like, I do have to point out, strong it might be. Hmm. Uh, uh, like the Strong's, uh, yeah. I don't know if strong. it's actually really a connection. I, I it could just be before. Maybe he had them written by then. Who knows?
1: He might. I, he might have like been like, I like that idea, and then and then took it from here or something.
0: Yeah. Right. What if I continued the idea? Okay. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Wordplay.
1: I don't know it. Kevin says that she doesn't want Rob to die fighting a battle in the shadow of that keep, but they have to do something, and I find it kind of fascinating. um, that the lack of connection that Kat and Brynden show when it comes to Heron Hall, which likely has to do with George's gardening and he didn't really ah. think about it like that deep yet, but if I'm not mistaken, Heron Hall was a seat of Kat and Brynden's maternal mm-hmm. line, so you'd think that there'd be a little more emotional connection or impetus to wanting to take back Harrenhal, but... Um, I maybe, maybe had George written these moments, these, these scenes, uh, today when, when more things were fleshed out, but I don't know.
0: I do think that this is, I, I mean, this is the only chapter we really get that much detail about Minissa besides when she talks to her father, I guess, but it just doesn't mm. really come up. And yeah, Arya definitely has some better connections, but there really isn't any, like, she looked up at the keep and thought of her mother's ancestors, or blah, blah, blah. There's also the fact that, like, she's technically a went cousin. We got a little Tywin-Joanna sitch going on in that marriage, right?
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, Of Minissa Tully, went went Tully. So, I don't know. It's just interesting. George, like, made it come from cousins' lines, and I I just think he hasn't put that much thought into it until later. Like, there is definitely a lot in here that makes me think, like, look, if my tinfoil... About the Kettleblacks being the Wents, you know my my favorite tinfoil comes true, and the things that thematically are true about it that I mentioned back in the Jamie chapters are true. Maybe George will give a shit about the Wents, right? Like maybe that will yeah. really come in handy for Sansa, who I mean, straight up, Brynden says right here, you Catelyn have the cheekbones and the jaw of your mother who was a Went, and Sansa does look a bit like her.
1: Yeah. I mean, when the time comes for the books to come out, oh my God, we will find out. Well, Brynden agrees that yeah, Rob probably shouldn't fight for Harrenhal right now and soon, because a new host is being gathered at Casterly Rock, commanded by a Lannister cousin, Stafford, Joanna's brother. And Brynden says that Stafford is old and dull, but has a son who's more formidable, Davin. Aw.
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny that Brynden's like, ah, the brother who was kind of his equal, right? Like Stafford would be Brynden's equal-ish on that side of the family. Like, ah, that's the brother to Joanna or the brother-in-law to Tywin. Uh, And he's like, no, he's old and dull, but Davin, Davin is more formidable. And I really do like Davin, that time we spent with him in Jamie's chapters with his long winding beard and his uh, that he grows. And uh, it's interesting that here he's like, oh, he's more formidable. Because I'm like, oh, he's just a boy.
1: He's silly, yeah.
0: And he gets dairy.
1: Oh, yeah, good point, good point. It all ties together. It's like it's all one story or something. <laughs> well, Brendan says to make no mistake, because Tywin is not the Kingslayer, and he will take his time and wait for Stafford to march before he ever has to leave Hall to attack Rob. But Catelyn says, unless he had to face another threat, like, oh, King Renly. So we end this chapter with he'll want something though.
0: He'll want what kings always want, she said. Homage.
1: If you give him Alice a cookie.
0: He's gonna want to wear a golden rose crown.
1: And a Ah. glass of milk.
0: (laughs) Oh my god, yeah, for sure on that. Oat milk for me, please, if we're talking (laughs) about me as King Chloe here, but...
1: uh, So it's breast milk? (laughs)
0: I'm into uh, oat milk, thank you. I think Renly probably would be into oat milk, too, now that I say it, or cashew milk or something crazy, but I love the closing of this, that he'll want what kings always want, she said, homage, especially after watching Rob in the beginning of the chapter give his men homage, in a way. Mm. In A Song of Ice and Fire, it's used as a formal public acknowledgement of feudal allegiance. Uh, This is something historically... That was also done. You know, you'd pay kings homage when they came through. They roll through. It's like when Sansa and Joffrey just showed up on the doorstep of some unsuspecting villagers and were like, get us drunk on the Trident. Give us homage. So what's crazy is I've looked into homage in the books. It's used like 40 times in the books. I've dissected all of the very important times it's used to refer to kings. But significantly... It begins in cat chapters. Merillion says he meant to sing an homage to her beauty and loops back around uh, with this chapter, right? Her saying kings want homage and then in the Renly chapters. It comes back up in Carth with Daenerys, with the Carthine, and wanting to pay homage to her and her dragons. And there are some instances throughout Sansa chapters in Storm and Feast and also Ironborn chapters demanding homage as kings. But it comes back super strongly In a dance with dragons, you'll never guess this one, Eliana, with Stannis. Who? Stannis. Who? He puts the stan in Stannis so we don't have to. (sighs) Uh,
1: I mean, unsurprising, King Stannis, if you will.
0: I won't, but his absence (laughs) is very strong in this chapter. Uh, this time through, I'm like, wow, that's right. Stannis is very quiet. He's making quiet money moves at Dragonstone. And honestly, he's already made his decision regarding Rob back in the prologue, right? He says that Rob is a green boy, another false king. And he's like, I have to accept a broken realm and... Crescent says to him, Well, surely half a kingdom's better than none, and you could help the boy avenge his father's murder. And he's like, Why would I do that? Robert loved him. I hate Robert. I hate everything Robert loved. I hate Ned. Uh Robert loved Ned. <laughs> so Look, we jealous. know how he feels. I want to be Ned. <laughs> also, like the boy's named after Robert. Come on now. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, true.
1: It's all awkward.
0: <laughs> but also geographically, there's something here that makes sense like Out in Dragonstone, they've heard that Rob's king, but here in Riverrun, they have not heard anything about Stannis yet, just more of Renly, right? They have the news and the scoop on Renly, uh, who declared first. So they haven't been following the Stannis uh, affiliate tweets very quickly. Mm -hmm. And geographically, it makes sense, but it also kind of reminds me a bit of the Greens versus the Blacks, right? And how Rhaenyra was kind of left out of the council making the decision all of a sudden while she was, oh, you know, birthing. And while the Greens were plotting with their Golden King, e.g. Renly, it brings up those vibes, here we go, with Stannis and Renly coming to the fray, to the frays, to the fray, Whoa.
1: and, Whoa.
0: to spit a phrase,
1: Whoa. geographically
0: makes sense. Yeah, I'm on fire. Yeah, you're, and
1: you're rapping.
0: <laughs> it does feel ride. like this is, is this lin It does feel like this, these are the last chances, right, like. Last chances for freedom, unfortunately, for the stark rain going on right here. And they don't know it. We know it. They don't, since this is a reread. Mm-hmm. But like all the cards are about to fall really poorly against them. And this Renly thing and Rob's refusal to bend, like the iron in his crown, unbending, unyielding. Mm-hmm. Uh, their, un- un- their inability to make any kind of deal in the early days is pretty much what doomed them. I mean... Tywin had to get rid of him eventually.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and inability to get and to make any deal, and that he just thought that he just knew better about everything, right? He, in terms of offering these like, again, shit terms, not trying to yeah. get anything, I guess, out of that Jamie situation, and also sending Theon and yeah, the Renly and Stannis stuff. Which I mean, he can't help that Stannis has like a complex about. Eddard Stark i mean you pointed out right rob's named after robert and then and then soon comes into possession of his brother's son that is named after eddard yeah. and like i mean can't hold rob you can't hold rob accountable for like your older brother but it- <laughs>
0: anyway. i mean and then stannis finally bends stannis is like fine yeah. do you fucking want to be a lord jon snow and jon's like i don't know yeah. doesn't sound fun to me and stannis is
1: like god fucking damn these starks sick of them. I think that's a good point. He does bend, he learns to bend, and it's something that Rob wasn't doing. He didn't have the ability to do it either, right? Because he has to play Mm -hmm. harder, right? And he can't be seen bending, or else his strength will be questioned at every turn as a boy, right? Stannis has survived Storm's End, he's run the Navy, and also, of course, he he was part of Robert's Rebellion, a war that they won. Mm Mm-hmm. And the Great Joy Rebellion, so at least he has those under his belt. No one's going to question, necessarily. In fact, people are afraid of him. They fear yeah. him in King's Landing. Whereas no one's afraid of Rob yet. He has to prove his strength every single battle.
0: Yeah, and I think there's also something that really rings true with Fire and Blood, right? With Jaheris when people really doubted yeah. his reign at the start, like when he had to go, you know, that was really what Rob's move was with Grey Wind with Cleos, right? It was a yeah. show of power, just like with what he did with Baratheon with his dragon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it it is a It is tough. It is tough being 15. It's even tougher being 15 and your dad was unjustly killed and also being suddenly a lord and then a king. At 15 years old, and then your best friend betrays you and might have killed your brothers, maybe, maybe not. And then you didn't take the deal for your sisters' lives.
0: And you also, like, just get to the age before you die where you suddenly realize your mom was right about a couple of things, unfortunately.
1: And no one wants to admit that at 15, 16. No one.
0: It took me till at least 22, at least, okay? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then I'm
0: still kind of. Eh.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, at least, at least he eventually had his first kiss and got laid, so he's got that, and he's got a cool dog.
0: Yeah, I don't feel bad for him on those counts. Great dog, apparently yeah. good enough. Dick, good for you, kid.
1: Yeah. So, but all the other parts, tough shit. <sighs> Poor kid. Tough being a Man. tough, also for a cat, you know. Cannot imagine being a thirty-two-year-old mother of a teenager.
0: You know, as Cat would post on her Instagram selfies, "We were born to die."
1: yeah it's well, another
0: lana del rey joke thank you i'll be here all night oh no i know oh good you couldn't even give me a sympathy <laughs> laugh Jesus as
1: as goodness. uh as you know catlin would post on her instagram blue jeans oh my god um, i don't actually remember the rest of the lyrics northern independence
0: day tell me i'm your national anthem xoxo Catelyn. Oh okay
1: i don't know <sighs> have... well
0: thanks oh, for joining us awful. on our very first chapter of Catalans in a clash of kings we uh over? We're rounding out here. In a few episodes, we'll be halfway through the, the year of Cat, the nine oh. months of Cat, the pregnancy of Cat.
1: The nine lives of Cat.
0: Oh my god, the nine lives of Cat. <gasps> Hopefully, it's only a couple. I don't know if we have quite the time for that many books.
1: I mean, we have the time for like 25 books, so.
0: <laughs> Next week, we will not be back with A Song of Ice and Fire. We are going to be starting the Amber Spyglass, so we'll be back with the Amber Spyglass on Friday, June twenty fifth. But catch us next month for Cat's second chapter in A Clash of Kings at the start of the month the the month of Northern Independence because it doesn't last much longer than that. And
1: yeah, <coughs> did you know that we did the Northern Independence during July? Probably because of a uh, the Northern Independence episode during July. Everyone. <sighs> That episode that I didn't know existed until last week. Until then,
0: make sure to follow us over on our social media. You can tweet at us with thoughts about the episode or send us a message there at girlsgonecanon, C-A-N-O-N. Or if you have more thoughts or if you have pets and you want to send us a pet mood board, we welcome those. Email us over at girlsgonecanon, C-A-N-O-N, at gmail.com
1: if you'd like us to connect you I guess with someone else who's emailed us yeah we have um, a pet
0: friend service now
1: yeah but if you would like to keep up with our episodes when they do come out be sure to subscribe to us on the many platforms that we are on such as Podbean where this is all hosted, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher Pandora, iHeartRadio Acast Acast And there there, there are more, but I've given up. Um, (laughs) (sighs) You did
0: great. I actually was very impressed. You you did a great job. Thank you. You even got Google Plus. Just kidding. Google Play, right?
1: Uh, Whoever knows, you know. (laughs) Whoever
0: knows. (gasps) And if those aren't good enough for you, you can check us out over on Patreon, where patrons do get a private RSS feed of episodes and... If you are in the Patreon tier, Stranger and Above, the $5 and above tier, you get special episodes every month. Every other month, we do a His Dark Materials special episode, and every other other month, it's a Song of Ice and Fire. Right now, it's another month. We're doing a His Dark Materials mini novella, The Collectors, and next month we'll return with more A Song of Ice and Fire for our special episode. But until then, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe.
1: And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana.
0: (sighs) A clash of
1: kings.